Welcome to Messages from the Multiverse, your home for all the spiritual wisdom you'll ever need, and we love to bring it to you. That song was Love in Portuguese, brought to you by Ohm Daddy from the album titled Chicago House Honey. The song is a jazz-influenced expression of love and the beauty of love and the universal emotion which ties all cultures and all people together. You can find this song, the album, and all other work by Ohm Daddy on anahatalove.com. That's A-N-A-H-A-T-A love.com. I'm your host, Ian R. Anderson, Certified Hypnotherapist. As always, I'll start out this episode by reminding you about our promo with Cymatics, Hypnosis, and Meditation Music and Soundscapes. Go to their website and enter the promo code MULTIVERSE and get a 40% discount on anything you purchase. They make the most powerful brainwave entrainment, consciousness-expanding, mind and body-relaxing music that I have ever used. And whether you're a meditator, healer, or therapist, they have what you need. With Cymatics, you will experience the most engulfing patterns of sound and music designed to bring your mind, body, and spirit into calm serenity and expansive awareness. Cymatics.com, P-S-I-M-A-T-I-X.com, or HypnosisMeditationMusic.com. Also, don't forget that here at Hypnotropy, we have special rates for students, heroes of the police and fire departments, military, active and retired, and others. Whether you want to experience the power of your own subconscious mind, the self-healing power of the mind-body-spirit system, or just want to explore the possibilities and potentials waiting to be released and realized, you can achieve all of that here at Hypnotropia. It doesn't matter if you're local to the Encino or Los Angeles area, or if you're in some distant country or state, As long as you have a phone or internet connection, you can experience the benefits of hypnotherapy, hypnoshamanism, and therapeutic imagery. Just go to hypnotropia.com, that's H-Y-P-N-O-T-R-O-P-I-A.com, and contact us. Or email me at ian at hypnotropia.com, or find me on Facebook or Twitter under at hypnotropia, hashtag hypnotropia, or hashtag multiverse podcast. That'll all lead you to any of my posts and also for the uh, podcast page on Facebook. And please remember to subscribe, leave your reviews, comments, suggestions for potential guests. We're easily contacted and we love to hear from you. This is a truly special episode. I know I say that pretty much every time, but I mean it every time too. Our guest for this episode is a Kabbalist, a spiritual alchemist, and to top it all off, a physicist. I've been waiting a long time to have a physicist on the show, and it's no coincidence that the first physicist who I've been able to get on the show is also working to unify science with spirit. One of the many conclusions I've come to throughout my many years of research, study, and spiritual practice is that the physics world has sadly missed the boat on the issue of consciousness and spirit and the importance that they play in the way the multiverse was created and the way that reality is structured. You've heard me say many times that consciousness is the most fundamental force in the multiverse. It is the force that connects and unifies all other forces and all physical things in creation. It is my humble opinion that the reason the unified field theory has eluded the physicists of the world is that they have ignored the presence of spirit and consciousness. How can you have a theory of everything that ignores the one thing that gives us the ability to have theories in the first place?
But again, it's my humble opinion because I'm not a physicist, so what do I know? We're going to have to ask our guest today about that. We will explore this issue and many others in this discussion. We'll get into concepts such as the ancient and modern mystery schools, the tree of life, the unification of all things, and the difference between the way things are and the way they appear when filtered through the programs of our expectations, ideologies, dogmas, and beliefs. We have a long discussion ahead of us, so let's introduce the guest and jump right in. Our guest is Teresa Bullard, Ph.D. That's Teresa, T-H-E-R-E-S-A, Bullard, B-U-L-L-A-R-D. Throughout her lifelong journey, Dr. Teresa Bullard has discovered innovative ways to weave together her formal education as a Ph.D. physicist with her deep training in the Western Mystery School lineage and a passion for uniting science and spirituality in a practical way. Drawing from these diverse fields, she teaches others the keys to applying universal principles directly to life for powerful results. Dr. Bullard is an international instructor and Kabbalah teacher for the Modern Mystery School. She is the president of the board of directors for the Mysterium Center, a local nonprofit center of mystery school teachings and healing in Los Angeles, as well as the co-founder of the Universal Kabbalah Network and founder of the Quantra Leadership Academy. For over 16 years, Dr. Bullard has been helping individuals and groups around the world to reach their potential and become more successful in multiple areas of life. She specializes in working with transformational leaders, coaches, innovators, light workers, and conscious entrepreneurs who are looking for deeper meaning, fulfillment, self-mastery, and expansion of purpose. The people who are drawn to work with her know there is more to life and are ready to cultivate the mastery within to become their greatest self. If you're interested in her many courses and workshops, such as the Life Activations, which we will discuss, the Empower Thyself Initiation, Universal Kabbalah Workshops, Seminars, and the Ascension Journey, or being a healer with the Mystery School, or to find out how to get her book, Game Changers, Social Alchemists in the 21st Century, and her several meditation albums, check out her websites at modernmysteryschool.com, universalkabbalah.net, mysteriumcenter.org, that's M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-U-M-Center.org, and of course, teresabullard.com. You can also find her YouTube channel under Universal Kabbalah. That's Kabbalah spelled with a K, K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H. So let's just jump right in. We had Teresa Bullard, PhD, in the studio here at Hypnotropia in Encino, California. So here we go. Well, we have Teresa Bullard here at Hypnotropia. Thanks for coming and spending this time with us. We're going to talk about Universal Kabbalah, alchemy, uh, spiritual path. So why don't we just jump right in and you can tell us all a little bit about yourself and how you got into studying the Kabbalah. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Thank and, you. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been quite a journey. Um, so how I got into it, well, first of all, I, I grew up in a very metaphysical family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was exposed to a lot of spiritual variety from a pretty early age. Uh, but I wasn't really drawn to any one particular thing. And then I decided to pursue my degree in physics because I just wanted to go really as far as I could go as a woman um, Mm -hmm. and not hit a glass ceiling. So I knew I wanted to get my PhD ultimately, and I really wanted to understand the the universe. You know, I remember looking out at the stars one night 
and seeing you know the whole Milky Way galaxy and just wondering what was out there. And so I thought, wow, I want to know what's out there, you know, beyond our mundane little lives here mm -hmm. on Earth. And uh, so that's when I had the idea, oh, I'm going to study astronomy and, and astrophysics. And then that led me into physics. I never would have thought I'd go into physics, but it's just kind of life just kept leading me in that direction. And then when I was in graduate school, working on my PhD, I found myself immersed into 80 hours a week of left brain research and mm. science and studies and um, all that activity, you know, of just left brain activity yeah. got me out of balance. And so after about a year of that, I was really not happy. I, I, I was... Um, feeling that graduate school wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't nearly as philosophical or uh -huh. looking into the meaning of things that, that I was hoping it might be. And it was just a lot of work and it was kind of stomping the creativity out of people okay. uh, in the physics department that yeah. I was in anyways. And um, after about a year I thought, well, I need to find what's going to bring that balance back into my life. And, you know, I had it before and now I don't. So let me just start bringing in what I thought was the key to that balance and so I brought in like creativity again and and uh, social time and and athletics again and you know I started bringing in all those aspects of life that people say it's going to create that well-rounded lifestyle and about a year later things were better but I wasn't happy still there was still something really essential that felt like it was missing for me that was at the key to my sense of meaning and purpose mm -hmm. and one day I was just at the gym thinking about it and the light bulb went off in my mind and I realized that there was one thing I hadn't brought back in and that was spirituality. And so at that point I um, thought, okay, well there's nothing else I haven't tried so let's give this a try. But I, I had been so indoctrinated into physics by then that I didn't think spirituality was that critical for me. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of always in the background. And um, But here was the one thing, so as I dove into it I had to find anything that was going to be spiritual yet also complement what I knew scientifically and right. not negate it and not just go with blind faith. And so I looked at all the science and spirituality, science and consciousness, Tao of physics, uh, and I got really into some of that stuff and, and, it, and it really inspired me and I remembered why I even went into physics in the first place. And so especially wherever the quantum physics and the, and the um, sp you know, e spiritual philosophy, it started off with Eastern philosophy. But any spiritual philosophy that really seemed to match up with what quantum physics was proposing, that was where I, I just really had a lot of excitement about. Mm -hmm. But uh, one of my frustrations was that it was all theoretical, and I right. wanted something more practical because science was based on if you can apply it, if you can bring it into more of a tangible level, not just keep it in the realm of hypothesis then you know we can do something with it. And so I kept looking for where's the key to bridging the science and spirituality at a practical way. And that's what finally led me into alchemy and Kabbalah and uh, the Western Mystery School tradition and teachings. And from there, things just really opened up. Like I, I really felt once I came to, um, first, first came alchemy. I realized it wasn't what I had been taught it was. You know, I've been taught it was some turning lead to gold, turning lead into gold, and pseudoscience. Yeah. And you know, they they were very dismissive of it in mm -hmm. in the physics sort of history teaching. Even though right? it kind of gave birth to science in the first place, right? Exactly. Yeah. All science and modern pharmacology and modern medicine and all of this comes out of even psychology. You know, it comes out of uh, a lot of the alchemy. Mm -hmm. 
they wanted to kind of separate themselves from its mystical origins, and yeah. so they poo-pooed it. And so I had this very stereotypical idea in my head about why what alchemy was. And then when it kept coming up for me to pursue it, at first I was dismissive of it and thought, no, I'm a real scientist. I don't have anything to learn from alchemy. But then it just kept coming and coming, and so I paid attention to the signs, and I thought, all right, well, it keeps coming up, so let's explore it. And mm-hmm. um, and then I realized it wasn't at all what I was taught, and it was, in fact, a, just a goldmine of wisdom and and the keys, the roots to where science and spirituality are one because that's how they originated. Mm-hmm. And uh, and very practical, you know, it's it's how do we take those spiritual principles and also apply it in a scientific way, in a practical way, mm-hmm. in the laboratory, whether you as a person are the laboratory or whether you're actually working with plants and minerals and things, you know, which is what chemistry was born out of and physics was born out of. Right. So. And then it kept mentioning Kabbalah and um, other like hermetics and other Western mystery traditions as I was reading about alchemy. And then um, sort of synchronistically at the same time, I found my my way to the modern mystery school uh, because I, in all the searching that I was doing, like I went to a church of religious science and you know, studied some of the, the science of mind and, you know, I was, I was exploring and trying to find community and yet everything felt like it just was not going deep enough for me. Okay. And then synchronous, I, I put it out there to the universe, like I really want to find my spiritual family, you know, the people that I can connect with at a deeper wavelength. And, yeah. and so um, the universe led me to the Modern Mystery School and I received something called a life activation to begin with, mm-hmm. and which is sort of awakening that tree of life pattern within your DNA and within your, your own energetic framework. I had had lots of energy modalities up to that point, like Reiki and you know, various other things I'd explored in, in the New Age. And a lot of them promised a lot, but didn't deliver a lot. Right. This one promised a lot, but then it actually delivered. Like I kept having this unfolding over months of time after having had that activation and things really started shifting in my life at a very practical level. Um, just realizations of daily choices I was making and what was serving and what wasn't serving and then uh, um, I, I finally like after about four months down the line finally was able to say oh this is my purpose in life this is what I'm here to do whereas prior I was just kind of following the system you know, just a lot more insight, deeper meditations, more vivid dreams, all of this started coming after mm-hmm. having that life activation. And so then I decided, okay, where is this coming from? It's really continuing to deliver results. And that speaks to me. So I want the next step. And I went and then received um, uh, their initiation, their first step of initiation and another level of activation. And then from that point, my life just really accelerated. And I realized Uh, I had that sense of coming home and Mm -hmm. that the people that I was connecting with really felt like even though I didn't know them they felt familiar they felt like that spiritual family and so from there everything I did with the modern mystery school just kept giving and giving and producing results and then even as as inquisitive as I was and as many questions as I asked and as much as I tried to poke holes in the the teachings um, it just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and continuing to reveal and more and more and I never hit that uh, the wall you know and, and so much of the other spiritual stuff I had explored I I get to a certain point of growth and then I hit a plateau or a wall right. yeah and with the mystery school I've never hit that wall it just keeps going Wow <laughs> yeah so it's deep so you um, 
the, this life activation thing, I, I have a, a couple of friends who have done it and have told me about it, but they didn't tell me about what the actual process was. Is it done uh, within yourself or is it done, are you activated by another person mm -hmm. or is technology involved? How is the activation achieved? Yeah, so um, it is done by a practitioner trained by the mystery school. So the, the people who conduct this activation are, they've been through several thousand hours of training with the mystery school and, and several steps of initiation. Mm. And they're just able to really um, put, like they've had a lot of training to put themselves into that right space to be the conduit. Uh -huh. um, and then to follow the protocol. And this protocol for the life activation is something that goes back thousands of years. It goes all the way back to at least the time of King Solomon, even prior to that, but it was refined and perfected during that time of King Solomon. It was passed down as part of the initiatory rites uh, you know, during, through his lineage for thousands of years. So it's not a new age modality, it's an ancient modality, and it's very much going into the, um, first of all, it starts with about 45 minutes worth of balancing out of the energy body. So we balance out uh, the four elements and magnetic energy and the chakras and you know smooth out the aura and you know clean, clear out certain places where energy's gotten blocked or a little bit burned out maybe mm -hmm. and just really prepare the energy body to receive the full light of the activation and then once that energy balancing portion is done we go in and we um, through the back uh, area work it we're all working within the first foot of the body, right, which we call the etheric layers of the body, especially within that first couple inches. There's, in the etheric layers, there's what we call the blueprint or the matrix that holds the physical together. Mm -hmm. And we're accessing a, a certain part of that matrix that relates to the pineal gland. And we're then sending in uh, through, especially um, charged up crystals that are, you know, made into so on a wand, you know, so it's a shamanic tool. Um, and we're flowing the, the light in a very coherent way to communicate to the DNA pattern. Like out through the tip of the wand, mm -hmm. like a laser? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly like a laser, but with just more of that spiritual light coming through. Mm -hmm. and that's communicating to the DNA through the master cell of the body, which is the pineal gland. And it turns on the light codes that relate to the tree of life that is the true structure that the DNA is um, built around. Mm -hmm. um, so the Kabbalistic understanding of what is our DNA is far beyond, I find, far beyond what our scientific understanding is what is the DNA. And so we're working with the tree of life, which was said to be the original blueprint of life. And so that, you know, if, if, if you ever look at the glyph of the tree of life, and you take that image and you stack one on top of another on top of another, it builds a ladder. Mm -hmm. And then you take that two-dimensional structure and you just twist it a little bit and you have your two, your helix, you know, your double-stranded right. helix. Um, but that's just a two-dimensional version of it. There's a three-dimensional, there's, you know, higher-dimensional versions of it as well. And so if you're looking at the, at the Kabbalah, um, there's ten spheres on the Tree of Life, ten circles and 22 pathways. But then there's also a hidden sphere uh, called Da'at, which is about hidden knowledge, and then there's the source. So 10 plus the hidden one plus the source makes 12. And if you have 12 physical and 12 spiritual, that's 24. So we call it 24 key aspects of the DNA pattern within. 
and this life activation can activate 22 out of those 24. Okay. Prior to finding the mystery school, I'd done other methods that were claiming to activate DNA, awaken DNAs uh -huh. into all of it. You know, some of them I thought did something, uh, but mostly they were self-applications. And then there was other modalities that I had received that you know, were, were claiming to do the same thing. None of them delivered what the life activation delivered for me. So when I had that life activation, it was like, wow, something really happened. Even if I didn't necessarily believe, I was open, right. but I was still skeptical mm -hmm. um, because I'd had tried so many things up to that point that claimed to deliver but never really delivered you know, to a grounded, practical person who Which has is healthy, right? Skepticism. Discernment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I called it being... Um, not close healthy skeptic, skepticism, yeah, healthy skepticism, uh, discernment maybe mm -hmm. is a better term, participating skeptic, you know, being open-minded yeah. and, and willing to participate and try it and yet let it, let it prove itself through the results that mm -hmm. it shows in life. And that's kind of how I took my first several years with working with the mystery school was as a participating skeptic. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't sure if I believed, uh -huh. um, but I was open to being proved wrong and as the results continue to show up in my life it's like well I you know I can't deny the results because yeah. it's, it's not based on just psychology or even um, you know wishful thinking or fantasy it was like it was really you know producing results despite myself yeah so that spoke to me uh, as a scientist you know it's like this is really grounded it's really practical and it's and it really delivers and I think it can do that because it's not new age Right. It's not just people channeling something and, you know, experimenting with stuff. It's something that comes from an ancient tradition that's been passed down. It's been time tested. It's been refined and, and perfected over thousands of years. And, and in my 15 years, 16 years now, in 2001 was when I found the Mystery School. Mm -hmm. So in my 16 plus years of working with the school, um, it's like I can, I can definitely say from personal experience that they're really working with true lineage and, and true, true teachings that, that go deep. Right? So wow. that's a bit about the, the activation. So the, uh, the, the idea of, a, of the, the mystery school or a mystery school uh, is something that I know a lot of people hear but don't really understand like really what a mystery school is. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about that a little bit for the people who have heard it and for the people who haven't heard the term mystery school? Because um, there tends to be a lot of talk about the mysteries and the symbols of the mysteries and um, not a whole lot of actually uh, clarifying what it actually is, where it comes from and what it means. So sure. what is a mystery school and what is the, um, the initiation process all about? Okay, so mystery school, I would say they're about studying the mysteries of life and the universe. So, you know, life is a big mystery, like why are we here, who are we, what's our, what's our sort of role in the bigger scheme of things, uh, what's the purpose of all of it. You know, so these kinds of questions that we have about, that bring purpose and meaning and a sense of uh, what's our reference point mm -hmm. in the greater scheme. Um, these are the big mysteries that we study in a mystery school. And mystery schools in general, I would say, are about the universal principles. They're not about religion. Even though they might have had certain religions spawned off of them because an, uh, an initiate of the school might have received certain teachings and, and training and then gone off and tried to teach that more openly and then down the line that 
by the people who maybe didn't quite get initiated into the deeper teachings, they interpret those mystery teachings and then they form religions out of them. Um, And even some of the tools and some of the methods, some of the rituals have come out of the mystery schools and then been incorporated into certain religious practices. But the mystery schools themselves are no dogma and they're very much about universal principles and ultimately their whole purpose is to I would say each mystery school that has a certain unique mission right and there's a there's a certain limited number of mystery schools that are on the planet today that really have ancient lineage still intact Um, at one point on the planet there were at least 14 major mystery schools around the planet Um, probably more than that, but um, during the time of King Solomon, uh, some of them had become, by then, either started losing their lineage or some of them had gotten a bit corrupted. And one of our oral teachings is that during the time of King Solomon, one of his missions or, or purposes that he was given was to clean it up, sort of reduce from however many there were to seven. And each one of those seven anchors one of what we call seven primary rays of creation, or seven purposes that anchor onto the planet. And so during King Solomon's time, he uh, gathered priests and shamans and medicine people and and healers and sages from all over, all over the different continents and countries and all over the planet they came. And, you know, they have records of like even Viking, you know, shaman and and someone from the Amazon and Aborigines and so forth making their way to King Solomon's temple. And they studied and they shared knowledge and they exchanged modalities and so forth and tested everything. And they were there for anywhere from 22 to 32 years working with each other. And then sometimes those emissaries would then go back to their tribes or to their people and take a, a universal package that had sort of all been worked out. Um, and take those teachings back. And so they basically, King Solomon said, if, if your modality works on everybody, then it's universal, regardless of bloodline, regardless of you know, where, they, where they live, regardless of you know, the tribe they come from. If it works on everybody, then it's universal. But if it only works on your people, then it's great for your tribe, but it doesn't really fit into what we do here. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to bring back together all the universal teachings, and he knew that each tribe had a key or had a piece. And so from there, it created more of that universal system and then the, the lineage, uh, and they also in- initiated each other, they activated each other with their modalities and so forth, and then they took that all back to their tribes. And so from there, seven, there were seven ancient uh, mystery schools that were established at that point. They, had a, they all had their own lineages, but they had a nexus point at King Solomon's uh, temple. And there's, you know, there's interesting records of that in, in some of the Bible where it, sa- it does say that you know, he had different um, pagan religions you know, being honored or, or worshipped in the temple grounds. And this uh-huh. became a political issue uh, with some of the, the uh, uh, more orthodox uh, Jews. And so that's you know, some interesting stuff that came there. Um, so there's the oral teachings and then there's the biblical teachings, right? And they, right. They, sometimes they differ. Yeah. And so, so the mystery schools today are each holding a certain purpose for the planet. Like some of them are for um, 
so like for example Tibet right? Tibet has one of the major mystery schools and the Dalai Lama is the head of that mystery school even though the Dalai Lama is also the major figure of a world religion right. his teachings aren't really traditional Buddhist Right. His teachings are about kindness and love and universal, you know, principles, and mm-hmm. and he's even trying to work with scientists and so forth, and um, and then he's you know able to spread his teachings throughout the world, and and the Tibetan Mystery School is kind of like that, the crown chakra of the collective, and they weave you know these patterns and these archetypes at a very high level with their chants and their you know, the mandalas that they work mm-hmm. and, and so forth. And then they, they, through that process, they send that out into the collective. Um, you also have a Japanese mystery school in Mount Kurama where the Dr. Asui received the download of how to do Reiki. Um, and I don't think he was an initiate at that school, but he, he went on a vision quest in that mountain for like 40 nights or something and received that download. And they're very much about you know, focus of the mind and honor and the quiet pond, you know, the mind of Buddha and achieving that enlightenment. So different mystery schools have different purposes. Um, the Aborigines is another tradition and lineage that's still intact today. Um, and, you know, theirs is very much the Mother Earth energy and their stomping rituals and, the, you know, their walkabouts and the ley lines and the star lines. They call them um, song lines, you know, as they kind of traverse in the heavens and the earth and they follow these lines and they work that earth energy. Um, so each one has different purposes, but most of them are closed door. Right. You know, they're, they're hard to get to. They're, they're working in secret. And even if you were to um, find your way to one of these mystery schools, most of them are really high up in the mountains or, or very hard to get to. In the middle of the desert. Or in the middle of the desert, yeah. Or, and for, like, for Aborigines, for example, and um, the ancient Native American tradition, you had to be full blood of that lineage, of that bloodline, to be initiated into their tradition. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't even get access into their deeper teachings if you weren't of that bloodline, and full blood even. And, um, and today, in today's world, like some of those lines are still trying to be stomped out, you know, I mean, because we don't honor some of those indigenous ways. Right. And so most of them are very hard to get to, very closed door. Even in the, the Mount Kurama, like the temple there, um, it's a mystery school behind the scenes, but on the front, it's a Buddhist monastery. And you could even go and sign up and become a Buddhist monk in that monastery and serve, you know, religiously for 20 years and still never be invited into the mystery school or even know that it's happening behind the scenes there, right? right? Um, So there's, and yet there's been, in any one century, one of these seven ancient mystery schools will receive the instructions from the spiritual realms to open the doors and to allow the people who seek to find their way to them and to be initiated. And that, that instruction may be open the doors for a few days for a few years, you know, a few months, it just depends on the times and, and the purpose. And so um, in 1888, the mystery school that was anchored in the UK at the time in London, um, well, it was, it's European-based uh, from the lineage of King Solomon, and they were given the instructions, okay, you're going to open up an outer order of this mm-hmm. school in London, and they called it the original Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And you had McGregor Mathers and William Wynne Westcott and their wives and 
Sir Arthur, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, you know, they opened up the, the Golden Dawn teachings, which is coming from the lineage of King Solomon. Uh, it has roots into the Knights Templar, um, some Rosicrucian connections, and, um, you know, all the way back to the time of King Solomon, alchemy and, and so forth. Uh, you know, when you, you, you find that during the times when the doors might be open to these teachings, you'd have um, a time of flourishing, like a renaissance or a golden mm -hmm. age. And during the times when they had to be um, taken back underground, it coincided with a time where there was a lot of inquisition and uh, witch burnings and uh, dark ages and, and so forth. So, you know, when they came out, it was like people were empowered, people flourished, there was more prosperity for everybody, there was a lot of creativity. Some people abused that, Right. right. The egos took advantage of that power and, and abused that. So that's one reason why they would pull the knowledge back into hiding. And then the other reason is because certain other powers that be that wanted to stay in control were threatened by mm -hmm. too many other common people having the power. So then they would, you know, do the inquisitions um, and genocides and so forth to, to suppress it. And so just to preserve it and to keep it intact, they'd have to go underground. So this is where the whole idea of secret societies came from, is that during those times where it was underground, they had to be secret. And you had to have certain, you know, handshakes and codes and whatever, you know, symbols that, that identified you, but that only others who had the eyes to see knew that mm -hmm. that's what that meant. Um, but then there were other times when it was open and flourishing and, and um, spread more widely. And so... At the at the turn of the nineteen twenty yeah so from eighteen eighty eight to nineteen thirty there there was a time of it opening and interestingly it coincided with the time that um, you had the age of enlightenment and you had um, like quantum physics coming out and you had you know there's a whole revolution in human consciousness coming at that time uh, but then it it got it was also during the Victorian era and it it got suppressed again. And um, and then around the turn of this century, uh, in 1997, the founder of the Modern Mystery School, who had studied with the McGregor Mathers line of um, Golden Dawn and in the lineage of King Solomon, he was given the instruction to open up the doors again. Because we're coming at a time, as, as we were talking earlier, we're, we're coming to this time on the planet where we're meant to awaken you know we're meant to shift yeah. at a at a mass level not just the elites and the few select anymore it's like there's meant to be this massive shift right because otherwise our head our world is heading towards destruction mm -hmm. and so that's why the doors to the mystery school the modern mystery school were opened and it had to be um lineage of of king solomon because king solomon's there's a whole story behind it that we don't really have time to go into here today, but the King Solomon's lineage is one of those lineages where it can openly teach, even regardless of bloodline, regardless mm -hmm. of um, your nationality and the country you live in, and so forth. And so, and then the school is really run by people who are coming more from the masses rather than just from the elite. And so, anyone can awaken to their mastery regardless of your past and you know, regardless of you know what family you were born into mm -hmm. anyone can awaken to their mastery and the mystery schools are delivering um, the the how you know how do you do that 
And it's very much, um, in the Western Mystery School tradition in particular, it's very much about you are your own master. You have all the knowledge within you. You have all the, all the tools, all the gifts, all the, everything you need within you. And you just have to awaken that and remember that. Right. And so the Mystery School is delivering the keys and the how and a little bit of guidance, but we're not the guru. Right? So it's not a guru path. You're not here to give your power away. Mm-hmm. Um, your enlightenment doesn't come through us. Your enlightenment comes through your own work. And so it's much more sustainable. And you, it's a hard path. It can be challenging, right? Because you really have to have ownership of it. Um, and you have to be ready to really step into your power and do the work. Um, there's, yeah. It's not like magic bullet, quick fix kind of approach either. Mm-hmm. It's like you really have to build that energy up over time within yourself and sustain it through a practice that then gives you that sustainable energy to master yourself and, and the energy you flow into the world. So Yeah. Okay, well that that reminds me of something that um that I went through probably uh, around two thousand two, which was um some training with the Flower of Life um, organization and learning the Merkaba meditation it uh, did something similar for me as far as activation goes uh, it was almost like plugging myself in to some current of synchronicity that started to cause the universe to feel like it was responding to me um, how does the how how does sacred geometry and the flower of life and the tree of life and the activation that goes on with the mystery school um, how 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 do those all connect because it seems to me like there's um, there are some lines of correspondence there between them. Mm-hmm. Well, sacred geometry is certainly one of the ancient arts and sciences that studied in the mystery school traditions. I mean, you, you see it, sacred geometry is, is a beautiful thing because it's a universal language. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a language of creation. It's all written throughout nature. And so it's there for us to discover and rediscover again and again and again. And um, so you see sacred geometry in every tradition in some way or another. And so the, the, one of the things we teach about sacred geometry is that each each geometry has a particular meaning and each one is like a building block of creation Um, and also each one's a gateway you can you can open up access to certain flow of energy through that particular geometry which is a, a gateway to opening but there's just like a gate or a door you know if you have a door and the door is locked there's a certain way to use that that the key to unlocking that door so that it unlocks and you can open it if you use it the opposite way sometimes the door will lock right so mm-hmm. it's like you have to use the sacred geometries in a particular way for it to open and and unlock the the, the door and the flow of energy the correct way okay. um, so how to how to do that is again one of the things we, we focus on like we do a lot of sacred geometry teachings in the in the modern mystery school and it's um, you know, there's all the theory out there. You, you can read all the books all day long right. these days about the theory, but you don't find the how to use it. What mm-hmm. do we do with this? You know, how does this enhance our life other than it looking pretty um, and being used in art, for example? How can we really use this? Yeah. So in the Mystery School, what we focus on is how to use sacred geometry for two things. One, to sanctify ourselves, right? To awaken certain energy flows within our own field, within our own temple, which is our body. 
and two, to sanctify an environment. So we can use the sacred geometries to bring that sacred energy into a space. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's many levels and layers of doing that. So it's like you, you can have one, for example, just creating a, a magic circle, what you call a magic circle or a circle of protection around a space. That's like the most basic layer. And two, you can build up energy grids around that space. And three, you can, you know, call in more of a temple type energy. So no matter where you go, you can create that kind of sacred space using sacred geometry. And we also use it for healings and activations. And um, some of the classes that we teach, you're, you're working to also, like in, in Kabbalah in particular, but also our sacred geometry one class, you're working to build up those energy structures using your mind and um, through meditative techniques and various other um, energy or ritual type practices you're using these geometries to build them up in you and in your mind but also in your energy field so that it can become a vehicle you know so in some of the stuff i'm sure you were exposed to it's like you're using it as like a vehicle right yeah uh, for shifting your vibration and your mm-hmm. consciousness and in um in the and I, I was exposed to some of that um, work with the flower of life also prior to finding the mystery school and uh, I really liked the sacred geometry stuff now the this this flower of life in particular is a sacred geometry it's found on the walls of Abydos temple in Egypt yeah. you know so it's it's been known for it's all over the place thousands in the ancient of years. world right yeah thousands of years and it's it, it is um, you know, it's a very simple way of describing how creation happens, mm-hmm. right? From the sphere to the reflection and reflect and, and keep doing that and expanding it. Um, and the tree of life is found within that pattern right. as well. Um, and and it's also uh, the, the toroidal structure. Are you familiar with the... Uh-huh. Yeah. So the toroidal flow is, is like how a, a magnetic energy field flows or pretty much any star or planet or even your own body and your own aura flows in that toroidal structure. Mm-hmm. And the flower of life is like a two-dimensional representation of a toroidal structure. Right. And um, so it's, it's one of those universal sacred geometries that's really about creation. Yeah. And yeah, it can be used for a lot of um, things. I, I, I find that it has a much more galactic connection uh-huh. versus just an earthy connection. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, um, the, you, you mentioned the keys and the opening of the doors to the public um, or to the, to the masses. In, in the Kabbalion, um, the, the three initiates, um, I've heard that it was that it was really just um, one person. I don't know who exactly the three initiates are, but um, from what I've read, it it connects to the builders of the Adidam, and I can't remember the guy's name um, who who started the builders of the Adidam, who are centered in Los Angeles, I think, right now. Um, they they the Kabbalion talks about the opening of the the secret teachings and the the bringing of the master keys to the people who are ready to use them to find the secret teachings or the secret meaning in the teachings. What is needed in order to unlock the symbolism into something that can be actually directly understood and applied in our lives in a way that we can actually use? Does the Kabbalah take that to another level beyond just 
um, knowing what the, the universal principles are and giving us some way of actually applying them. Because you said that the research is just the beginning, right? Knowing the theory is just the beginning. What can we actually do to apply it mm-hmm. to unlock that, the theory? Yeah, so that is a big question. <laughs> um, so the, those hermetic principles, right, those seven hermetic principles that are illuminated in the Kybalion, um, they are, I would say, at the foundation of how alchemy works, for mm-hmm. example. How, does, how can things transform from um, a lesser state to a greater state? You know? So let's just define alchemy. You know, most people think of it as lighting, turning lead into gold, but alchemy is really the art and science of transformation of anything from a lesser state to a more perfected state or to a higher vibrational state. Uh-huh. And it's really the science, the formula that we can use to consciously participate in that evolutionary or transformational process. And by participating in it actively, we can speed it up. So that's what alchemy is. And so alchemy rests upon the hermetic principles. You know, it's like you can't accomplish the alchemy if those hermetic principles weren't true. So, um, like, just to name a few of those principles, the first one, the principle of mentalism, really I would say is is the principle of consciousness. You know, Uh that consciousness is... A primary in the universe, not a epiphenomenon, mm-hmm. and not that, an accident of the brain's complexity. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and and there's more science starting to come out to back this up. That uh-huh. consciousness has to be primary. That everything is sentient. Everything interacts. Everything has some kind of self-governing principles mm-hmm. to it. That so through our consciousness we can interact through mind through thought you can affect right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, cause and effect and correspondence and um, principles of vibration and rhythm, you know, like vibration is that everything is energy, right, which also agrees with science. And it's really just a matter of what is the frequency of that energy. Mm -hmm. And then then the um, polarity, you know, it's like um, within a certain spectrum of a, a certain type of energy, you have the poles on either side of that, you know, so... The, on on temperature, for example, you have hot, you have cold, and you have everything in between. Mm-hmm. And so, um, learning to shift your vibration along that spectrum to get out of the negative expressions into positive expressions, or to to use whatever expression is appropriate for the moment, right? Mm-hmm. So, learning to shift your vibration at will is one of the practical applications. So, in alchemy, um, and Kabbalah is a form of spiritual alchemy, right? So, Kabbalah would would say you are the experiment, you are the laboratory, and you are also what we're going to take through this process of transformation so that you can rise from your mundane state of just thinking you're this earthly human Mm -hmm. um, to remembering your divinity, to remembering your eternal nature, and uh, to awaken more and more and more of that potential that lies dormant within you. So Kabbalah is this, you know, this powerful system for helping you to go through the spiritual alchemy and it has all kinds of methods whether we're talking you know meditation and visualization and working with sacred geometries or we're talking uh, you know rituals and and certain formulas that you can work with that help to um, you know work with divine names for example that awaken certain codes within you um, and in the mystery school what I find is very unique about how we work with 
uh, these things is it's very hands-on and experiential. So instead of studying about a subject, mm -hmm. right? So in the mystery school, we don't teach you about subjects. We immerse you into the subject. We teach you okay. it through you living it, you directly experiencing it through life. So right. for example, with Kabbalah, we go through an ascension journey over a 10-month process. And we, we work our way through the Tree of Life step by step. And we start where we're at, which is more in our awareness of being physical, which is more the bottom of the tree. And then we try to work our way back towards our original spark, you know, that original I am principle at the top of the tree. And in that, those 10 months, not only are you reading about it and learning some of the correspondence systems and, and how everything in life relates to the tree of life, you're we're going through what are called ascensions, where it's like I um, can strike a tuning fork, you know, metaphorically speaking, you know, I'm the, I'm the instrument that's been through and had this, um, uh, I've integrated working with the Tree of Life, I've been through the training to become a Kabbalah teacher in the Mystery School and so forth, so through my own field I can become sort of a resonant frequency that attunes to a certain part of the tree. Then I can help the group uh, once they've done the work to prepare themselves for understanding the basic correspondences and essence of what that part of the tree relates to, then I can raise the energetic vibration of the soul into the right frequency, and that's what we call an ascension. And then we sort of hook them in um, to that, and then for the next month or couple months, uh, their frequency is putting out that new energy of that part of the tree. It's like higher dimensional energy. And so whatever we're putting out energetically, the world just reflects back to us. Right. And so then the world reflects to us. It's like you're putting on you know, different colored lenses each month and you're perceiving the world through a new color or a new frequency each month. And how you're perceiving life, whatever, regardless of what those experiences are, you can relate it to that part of the tree of life that you're you know, currently working mm -hmm. with. So then, and, and it kind of, you, you sort of attract different situations to you based on what you need to learn. Because if right. you're putting out a, a frequency and you're putting it out with distortion, because you have some imbalance in your, that part of your tree of life, then the world's going to send you back that distortion. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to go like, oh, wow. You know, so it's like this taking a microscope and being able to really take a look at your own consciousness and where am I distorting what I'm putting out? What do I need to heal? What do I need to clean up? Based on your own life experiences and then just relating that to the tree. And so these ascensions become a catalyst to accelerate and amplify your ability to recognize what the tree of life is showing you in your own life. And, and it's, it's an incredible process. Like people can transform through so much in that 10 month journey. Um, some people have compared 10 months of ascending the tree of life to like 10 years worth of therapy or even a lifetime's worth of therapy in other modalities. So in a way, um, could you say that we are the tree of life? Mm-hmm, for sure. And that maybe where our awareness is on the tree of life or where our consciousness is centered on the tree of life determines how we perceive and interact in the universe? So, uh, yeah, we are definitely the tree of life. The tree of life is our DNA and it's us, it's our blueprint. And it's also our, a map of our mind, right? Okay. And so, um, and it's a map of the whole universe. I mean, you can apply it at so many levels. Yeah, as above, so below. Right. Uh -huh. And so um, when you're looking at it from, okay, how does my consciousness work through this map? 
you know, we're going to have certain, every part of the tree has strengths and um, virtues as well as when it's in a distortion, it'll show up as a vice or a weakness. Like when it's imbalanced? Mm -hmm. okay. The imbalances will show up as a, as a weakness or a vice or, you know, some coping strategy and we need to um, clean it up and bring it back into its balanced expression. So, um, so our consciousness is working all parts of the tree of life but we may be more aware of some, some than others, you know. So some people are only really very aware of their physicality and they're not even aware of their dreams, for example, and their subconscious, or they're not really aware of their emotional reactions. They're just very base, right? And that would be only operating in the lower parts of the tree and they've shut down or become very disconnected from the higher parts of the tree. Um, but then you also have people who are really up in the ethers all the time, and right. they're, you know, kind of airy-fairy kind of type of thing. Ungrounded. And very ungrounded, right? So they're maybe operating in connection to higher parts of the tree, but they've disassociated from, you know, the lower parts of the tree, which mm -hmm. then makes them ineffective at being able to, to manifest their full potential here in the physical. Mm -hmm. So in Kabbalah, we want to have the fullness of expression of the whole tree and all parts of the tree in balance. Mm -hmm. And so we really go in, one of the things I love about it is like you can go into every part of the tree in your mind and really dissect it and learn um, how do I operate where have I distorted things? Why have I distorted things? What indoctrination do I need to let go of? Um, what do I need to heal and forgive? You know, and, and you're really getting this inside view of who am I? What am, what am I? What am I here for? Um, how did I get to this point? Where do I want to go? And you know, we really work on, on this introspective process with these questions and, and it's ultimately about know thyself. And know thy true self rather than the, the masks Right. And that we've come to, to Those wear Those things in life. we pick up throughout life, right? Yeah. Through our programming. Yeah. So the uh, moving along the tree of life with our awareness, um, it brings to mind also the, the scale or the, the spectrum between polarities that you mentioned, right? Between light and dark and, and things like that. And... Our awareness of that and and our experience of that seems to imply to me that that if this is a central part of how the universe is structured then this universe must have been built for living beings to exist in it so that also then suggests that yes consciousness is fundamental to that but then also there there is required then the physical nature for consciousness to inhabit, mm. right? To, I guess, um, to enshrine itself in matter. Mm -hmm. um, so we really want then balance between the higher levels and the physical. And then we kind of slide between those in different experiences of our life, don't we? Mm -hmm. And where sometimes we'll be having a very high vibration spiritual experience, and sometimes we're pulled more into the uh, the more material, more physical aspects of life. Um, is there is there something in the in the tree of life that it allows you to encompass all of it at once and hold that pattern completely within yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's great um, question. Everything you just said there is really great, uh, and that is one of the big things that Kabbalah is focused on. Um, so they say yes, we are both spiritual and eternal and infinite and we're physical and bound to the you know the 
the limitations that this physical experience um, provides. But the whole reason for the physical is so that there can be the expression of that spiritual potential into its ultimate manifestation, uh, into density. So in that dual, you know, kind of experience of spiritual and physical, uh, there's this process where we, we have the pendulum swinging mm. back and forth and back right. and forth. And, you know, that, that pendulum swing manifests itself in so many different ways, you know, in, in how we swing between mind and emotion, how we swing between our, our sense of empowerment and our sense of being merciful, um, how we swing between masculine and feminine energies within ourselves. And ultimately, Kabbalah is about... You know, it's one of the th reasons why I love it so much. It's very practical. It is about bringing spiritual into a grounded state, like really making it practical so that we can transform the physical into a higher spiritual state and okay. raise the vibration. So it's about bringing heaven to earth and earth to heaven so that they can meet in between and unite. Mm -hmm. And um, on the glyph of the tree of life, you'll see there's three columns or three pillars in its arrangement. And the two side pillars, right and left, are the representation of that polarity. And then there's the middle pillar in the center that is, the, this is where we unite or where we find that point of balance in between. But you can't find that balance on the middle pillar unless you know how to wield the energies of right and left. Um, so if you try to deny one side at the favor of another, then it puts you out of balance and vice versa, right? So in order to really what we do, uh, we call walking the middle pillar or living from the middle pillar is to learn to have good relationship with both polarities and heal whatever judgments you might have or fears you might have or attachments you might have to one or the other, aversion or attraction towards, mm -hmm. and bring it all to the middle and walk that path of balance and um, not be so attached and not try to go to one extreme or the other and to just learn to come into peace and centeredness and stillness and in the middle all things unite and so there's a lot of work that we do um, both with energetic um, processes as well as um, you know the concepts and so forth and really coming to understand how do we how do we find that balance how do we unite the two is that where the trinity comes from the, the energy of the father creation I guess type energy but being housed in the maternal kind of womb like energy coming together to create spirit in matter is that how that type of concept came into existence even though it was kind of adulterated and put yeah. into all kinds of other ways of scaring people into being a certain way right. um, that that ancient source sounds like it is connected to that three pillar concept yeah so the three pillars the trinity in in kabbalah is the top of the tree and you'll see that so as as the energy was coming down for creation it started with unity you know singularity there was no duality that was just everything was oneness and um, even prior to that was it was a source um they they call that source the the Ainsof, and that was everything and nothing. Everything you could say about it, you could say the opposite. Uh -huh. And it had all opposites contained within it without even recognition of their opposites, right? Is that like the void, kind of? Mm -hmm. like it's not the void, but... No but vibration you can, or anything at all, just... No, it's well. not the void, but you can access 
through the void to okay. get to that. Um, but everything that comes into being ultimately comes out of that. I, I often think of it as more like the Tao or you know the, the quantum field prior to everything coming into um, some sort of perfection reality. I wouldn't even call it perfection. Eternity. Um, it's prima materia. Oh, okay. It's it's like the so the that's original. The, it is a singularity then. It's a singularity. That's kind of like the indefinable, indefinable. quality. Yeah, it's okay. definitely indefinable. But somehow out of that comes a spark. Uh, it goes from potentiality to actuality. It goes from asleep to awake, and that's the I am. You know, and that that original divine presence mm-hmm. that comes into awareness, self-awareness. And then with the I am, and this is a more of a Kabbalistic way of describing creation, with that awareness of I am, you know, we could call it God, um, but it's even beyond our concepts of God. It goes, okay, well then, who am I? What am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? You know, it starts asking all these questions in, in, yeah. in an attempt to ex- understand itself. And as it starts to ask, it starts to expand and to reach out, to seek um, answers to that. And in that expansion, uh, we would call that then a masculine principle, uh, is the expansion. And, you know, in, in science, we would call it the Big Bang, you know, so there's this explosion of energy going out into all directions. But then if you have that only expansion, um, or you have only explosion and all this infinite potential energy exploding out, but there's nothing to bring it back together, nothing becomes of it, right? So, so it's, it's pointless at that point. So it needs another component to bring things back together to create some kind of boundaries to contract it again. So you have the feminine component coming in as the contraction, whereas the masculine is more the expansion. And so this is the ultimate um, masculine-feminine principles coming, and they really come out at the same time. Because at the same time, like if you were, say, from science, you have the Big Bang, and you have all the light and the particles and the the quarks and all this kind of stuff coming out, the stuff. Um, and it's exploding out, you also have the laws of physics that come in, you know, electricity, electromagnetics, and gravity, and strong and weak forces, and so forth, that bind it back together so that the universe can come to be. Mm-hmm. So the, these feminine and masculine principles come out at the same time. So the one splits into two, and those two is a masculine and feminine. We, we can call it male, female, but it's really expansion, contraction, two primary forces. And... Um, but that is the formula for creation. So from the one splitting to two, where you have, a, you know, in alchemy we call it volatile and fixed, um, where it's one's more reactive and one's more inert, or giving and receiving, you know, expanding, contracting. So you have these two principles uh, that come from the one, and that's the trinity. That's the original trinity. And you see that whether you're looking at physics and you see that quarks always have a combination of three uh-huh. or you see it in various spiritual traditions you know father mother child or from the one um you know the father son holy spirit is really a much much later right. ad- adaptation of the original trinity yeah. so in kabbalah we call body, it the supernal triad um yeah we wouldn't really call it body at that level but ultimately becomes a body but uh-huh. we would call it you know the um the vessel the womb, okay. yeah, the container, sense. and then the, the life force that infuses into mm-hmm. that container, and then the source that it comes from, right, that both of them come from. 
and then so that trinity establishes itself at the top of the tree we call that the supernal triad and then the rest of the tree is created by reflecting that supernal trinity down into the next level of expression in which is more of an archetypal world and then it gets expressed again into um, what we would call more a world of formation more like the astral plane and the blueprints and then it ultimately gets manifested into the physical and that's sort of the what we call the four world in, in Kabbalah how we come from creation down into physicality there's a lot more to it than that but that's one of the things that we we do study in, in Kabbalah yeah, I can see why um, why a physicist would be interested in it and I, I'm a little surprised that there aren't more physicists that find their way to it, to mm -hmm. this study, because it seems like it's really perfect for somebody who, you know, wants to understand the structure of things. I thought it was. That was one of the first things that really turned me on to it. One of the first um, Kabbalah books I read was called a. Uh, um, for a modern world uh -huh. and it the first part of it was a reinterpretation of Genesis uh, the story of creation in Genesis from a Kabbalistic understanding going back to the original Hebrew and retranslating with a Kabbalistic understanding of those terms and and as it was retranslated I read it and it it, it was almost um, like one-to-one -one correspondence with yeah. what modern astrophysics was saying was the way that the universe was created. And I read that, and I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was taking these astrophysics classes at, at the university, and then I was reading this Kabbalah book, uh, and their, their sort of myth of creation. And it was like the same thing, you know, different words, but same concepts. And I thought, wow, what else does Kabbalah know? You know, and, yeah. and at, the more I studied it, and I came, became more familiar with the tree of life, the more I realized, like, wow, you can map all of the physics laws onto this tree as well. And, and it works in a, in a very nice way where you can be very systematic and organized and, um, and yet also interconnecting. You know, I found that it, it helped me see connections that I might not have seen prior. Mm -hmm. um, but why don't more physicists study this? Well, I think if they... Um, maybe had some exposure to it, they might have found their way into it, but a lot of physicists honestly are materialists. Mm -hmm. they, they don't want anything to do with anything spiritual or mystical, and so they just push it away without even giving it a second chance, right? without even looking at it. Yeah, and is that, um, that, that brings us to something that I've felt for a long time, which is that the, uh, the denial of the importance of consciousness is the reason or a major reason why we have not been able to um, attain a unified theory of physics mm -hmm. what do you think about that i i believe that's true like i think consciousness is is essential in this whole thing and i think quantum physics is starting to point to that um, more and more and even the founders of quantum physics like like Pauli and schrodinger and and even einstein you know they were um they were you know, exploring into, well, let's bring this question of consciousness mm -hmm. into a scientific discussion. Yeah. And um, they had, like, like Pauli also had all kinds of conversations with Carl Jung, uh -huh. uh, you know, in the, in the nature between consciousness and quantum physics and, you know, archetypes and, and depth psychology and so forth. And so it's, it, it's essential, you know, and the observer effect, like, 
through our conscious choice to set up our experiment in a certain way mm -hmm. that determines what results the quantum field gives us. Right. You know, there's there's a lot more to it. You know, like I think there's been some rather loose interpretations of it with yeah. with, for example. You know, the quantum law of attraction yeah. and, you know, yeah, there's been a lot of loose interpretations of quantum physics, but I do believe that consciousness can be harnessed in such a way to actually interact with the quantum field. Mm -hmm. But you have to train your consciousness to right. do so, because if you have a lot of static going on in your mind, you're not going to have an impact, right? So it's like you have to have laser-like focus uh -huh. or just complete stillness um, and emptiness of mind to be able to, you know, see and even... Um, grasp all those possibilities and then choose right and, yeah. and set up your experiment or your this is what it's going to be but when it comes to uh, the unified field theory and for example even quantum computing you know mm -hmm. I, I think that I think humans have to get the consciousness piece before we'll be allowed yeah. to successfully harness quantum energy and or zero-point energy from the vacuum because we have to be able to use it wisely, otherwise uh -huh. it's just going to lead to a lot of destruction. We may even be a necessary part of that technology in order for it to function. We might have to be in a certain state yeah. to use it, I would, I would imagine. Um, but I, I, had a, I had an experience, I, I actually wrote a little bit about it in the, the list of questions that I sent you, mm -hmm. um, where I went from that void state into what I, at the time, or I guess shortly afterward, identified as some sort of original thought, which was um, not an original thought of mine, but was that moment of the recognition of I am in this state where I, I, I felt very, like, extremely alone for, for what felt like a very long time. Mm -hmm. And in that state of recognizing that something had suddenly just happened that had never happened before, um, and, that, and then I realized that I was alone in this, in this void, that I was all that there was, okay? And then I went through this process within myself of putting myself into new forms that I was, I was giving of myself to create new things so that I could experience there was I, I, it's really it's impossible to put it into words there was an urge mm -hmm. there to put myself into something other than myself mm. and through this this urge which I can't I can't put into words I can't identify it really of what it was but I went through this whole uh, evolution of um, creation of creating the universe creating the multiverse many different layers of of understanding in in how I was doing this are gone now but in the moment that I was experiencing this I had this this oneness going on with the multitude that was just very strange and when I came out of this spontaneous experience um, I have never been the same since then I, I, I haven't I don't experience any um, real suffering anymore or pain or or anything like that because when I went through it all I realized that how I experience this life is really up to me mm -hmm. and that I can choose not to suffer mm -hmm. and I can choose I can choose all kinds of things I mean if really if, I, if I'm centered within myself and centered within that that awareness of that I am I can really make myself whatever I want whoever I want to be mm -hmm. um, and and 
through that, I, I guess I, I kind of got a little bit of a glimpse into what the original purpose was behind creation. How is that explained in the Kabbalah, what that, what that purpose was or that intention to create? Where does that come from? Because I, I have a very hard time conceptualizing or putting it into words, but I know I experienced something that was beyond anything that I've ever experienced or read or known or anything like that before. Yeah, it's an amazing vision, and what a it gift was, yeah. to have had that experience. It was, yeah. Um, it, it reminds me a lot of the some of the story I just shared with you of, of the Ein Sof, mm. and then that first spark and the I am, and then who am I and what am I, and you know all these questions and this urge to ex- understand itself. Yeah, I felt like if I didn't figure it out soon, mm. I would be alone for a very long time. Mm. But then I was I was thinking like in a way, oh, how long have I been alone before this without realizing it? So that was kind of like part of part of the thing I started to explore what I was and who I was and and how I could do what I could do about this situation. So okay, so it, it's really triggering this um, this one story that I've heard from the mystery school teachings in Kabbalah and I'm not I'm not sure if I'm actually supposed to share this on the interview like this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it because it's coming through. Okay. Um, so one of the one of the stories is that uh, you know, so Ainsoff had no desire, had no desire, no need, no nothing, right? It just is. It's, mm-hmm. But it has um, potentiality. And at some point, Ainsoff knows that there's more out there that can be expressed, that can come into being. You know, it's like, so it sends out this energy to just sense what's here, mm-hmm. right? Even before anything comes into being, just sense what are the possibilities, what are the potentials. But that energy that it had to send out was a non-invasive energy, you know, just just to scan and to sense. And, and a non-invasive energy is more of a feminine. And um, in Kabbalah, what they call this energy is Shekinah. Mm-hmm. Shekinah is the divine feminine sort of aspect of Ensof. And she goes out and she senses, and as she's sensing, she feels like um, something feels like it's missing. Like I feel lonely, mm-hmm. and it's almost like she senses the possibilities and wants them to be, um, rather than just being in that dormant state. Wants them to be so that there's you know more of a fullness of expression uh-huh. of the potentiality, and so she has desire, and that desire. Um, she reaches out, tense off, and, you know, in the story, says, um, you know, something's missing, and I'm lonely. And he says, oh, you want, you know, you want this expression so that you have company and reflection and a mate and all of this, right? And so then she, he, he says, well, what are you going to do about it, right? And he puts it back on her, on Shekina, to decide what are you going to do. And then she calls in this energy, she summons her desire to express, and she then sends that out to light up, you know, to turn on the lights uh-huh. to the potentialities that were there and to then um, express. And out of that, you know, they say that her, her, out of those potentials came her, like, counterpart, her masculine counterpart. And as they came together and united, then, you know, their heads open up into this thousand-petal lotus and, you know, explodes into the universe and the stars and so forth, and everything comes into being from that union. Uh-huh. Um, so there's some very core principles, and, you know, this is an archetypal 
story, mm-hmm. but there's very core principles in there of, of that desire and that, um, you know, the union of, of masculine and feminine again, and then just the expression of divine potential into actuality. Um, because if it's just there and it's inert, then there's, there's no fullness of, you know, there's no full realization of that potentiality. And for full realization to come to be, it has to come into the physical. It has to be expressed at all the density levels, all the way down to the densest, which we would call this physical level the densest of all the various dimensions. In this physical dimension, it can have its fullest expression where it finally manifests, right? And that's part of why we're here, is to learn that art of manifestation. We're not here to be spiritual beings because we are spirit. That's who we are. We're these eternal spirit beings here to have a physical experience so that we can learn the art of manifestation, to bring that divine potential into its ultimate expression here in the physical. So that's why Kabbalah is very much about you know, don't just be spiritual and have your head up in the clouds. Like, what are you going to do to make this world a better place? What good acts are you going to do? How are you going to transform this? How are you going to manifest heaven on earth? Or in, at a personal level, how are you going to manifest your full divine God essence into your physical life and be, you know, the best you you can be? Mm-hmm. Um, and rise above what you would say, I, you know, so many people say, I'm only human. And they give themselves all these excuses, yeah. you know, for their faults and why they're holding themselves back and just staying in the comfort zone. Um, that's not being our God self, right? So Kabbalah pushes us to, to become our God self. And I have found that no matter how far I've gotten on my path of progression, the tree of life pushes me to the next level. Like every time I go through this journey um, and, you know, I take another group through the, the ascension process, for example, I'm going through it with them. And it always pushes me to the next level, no matter how, no matter where I'm coming at, it takes you to that next level because it's constantly adapting and growing with you. And so wherever you're at, it'll, it'll always go further. And it's holographic in that way, you know, it's like you, you can address it at certain levels and you can go through the whole tree and the whole pattern at a certain level. But then once you have that foundation under your belt, now a whole new level and a whole new possibilities can open up for you. It's still the tree but it's at a whole other dimension, right? And it's just, and you just keep doing that uh, until you attain your, your highest mastery. Wow, so is, is, that, um, is that feeling that, that she had of something missing, is, is, that, is that related to the discontent that all humans seem to feel? Like there's something missing from their lives too? is in that through that feeling of something missing we then search for something more yeah yes and no so um there's at some point along the way we we shattered you know we Mm -hmm. fell you know and in kabbalah they have this whole conversation of the shattering of the vessel because that infinite amount of energy was pouring into this vessel and at some point it couldn't hold anymore and it shattered that shattering then repeated itself at multiple levels as well and we've all had our own personal shattering at some point in our life you know we had some kind of trauma or we were um, you know our idealism was shattered or you know something along those lines and we have these fragmentations within our mind and within our psyche and our soul and that fragmentation of the self 
um, is where we feel parts are missing. We don't feel whole and complete. We are whole and complete, but, but we've become disconnected from parts of ourselves. And so Kabbalah, you know, one of our primary purposes for being here in the Kabbalistic um, tradition is what they call tikkun, is to help repair the vessel or to rectify, to bring those pieces back together again into a whole um, unit so that it can, can be able to reascend back to its higher potential. So that healing okay. process is a huge part of our, what we're here for, yeah. not only at a personal level, but at a collective level. Because through us, because Shekinah, you know, I told you how Shekinah and her mate came together and their heads yeah. opened up. Well, Shekinah is also the vessel. So if, if the vessel exploded, so the Shekinah is also kind of in this fragmented state. Uh -huh. And so her, the shards of her vessel are our souls. Okay. And each of us is a fragment of that universal vessel. And so it's like we humans have a role to play in the healing of the universe. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of why we're here, that we are meant to heal our own vessel, heal our own soul. And as we do, we're helping contribute to the healing of the greater soul of mm -hmm. the universe and, and bringing the vessel back together so that Shekinah and her mate, you know, so that everything can come back into that oneness state rather than into this shattered or fallen state. Yeah. And so I think our urge, you know, of feeling incomplete is, is around that. Uh -huh. it's, it's to drive us towards healing. Yeah, that, that explains um, part of the experience that I had right before I chose my way out of suffering, which was that I had a realization that the that people here were sick but didn't know that they were sick and that there was healing that was needed but that the prob part of the problem was that people didn't know that they need to, that they needed to be healed or they didn't know that they that they were sick in that way mm -hmm. and that was part of the part of the the problem with the uh, choosing out of suffering was that some people didn't realize that that they were in need of healing and they just I guess accepted that suffering as a necessary or as a necessity of life or something like that very true yeah we I mean certain indoctrinations would come in and say this is a fact of life you just need to accept mm -hmm. it and get over it and you know you even have certain religions that would say you know accept your lot in life now even if you're poor and starving and whatever don't try to change it and you'll be rewarded in the next life. Right. Right? And that's like, you know, that kind of indoctrination is holding people back yeah. uh, and stopping them from pursuing their healing or trying to improve their condition. Um, and then you also have on the flip side, you have, you know, a lot of people here in our country where it's like, no, nah, I'm just, I, I don't want to have to work that hard. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I everything is just physical and, you know, there is no spiritual side. Or, you know, you have all this kind of, other kind of indoctrination coming in that again like puts the blinders on to people and just makes them get complacent yeah. and um, yeah it's a very sad sad condition yeah because it's not what we're here for and, and to live I mean, like a, a mediocre life like that is is not is, is like the antithesis of expressing the full glory of who we are and the full potential of who we are yeah. so healing is essential and pursuing that healing but it's a choice as you're getting it's like we have to make the choice mm -hmm. to pursue it you know the the spiritual realms there's all these beings there's an infinite amount of spirit beings of light and angels and whatnot here mm -hmm. to help us yeah but they can't impose upon us because we have been given this free will right. and if we choose 
and we call them in and we say, I want help, then they come and they help however they can. But that doesn't, that doesn't opt us out from having to help ourselves also, right? right. Um, but if we don't ever even invite them in and ask for help, then we're never going to get it, right? Because we've not making, made that choice. Yeah. So to make that choice, like, like you've done, um, and also, you know, when I made the choice, even though I had spirituality as a part of my life, when I made the choice, like, no, spirituality is important to me and I'm going to actively pursue it mm-hmm. because it's, it brings meaning, that is a point that we call self-initiation. And from that point of self-initiation, you can probably see a lot changes in your life right. from, from that point forward and you, you take on a whole new trajectory in life. So ultimately, everybody who finds their way to the mystery school has already Mm self-initiated. And they've already started to have those transformations happen in their life from that self-initiation. And then when they're ready for the deeper work, you know, and they're they're saying, like when somebody comes forward and they're ready to get initiated uh, into the lineage, for example, they would be saying, not only do I know that there's more to life and my spirituality is important, They're also saying, like, I really want to serve. I really want to attain my full potential. I really want to, like, really accomplish being as great as I can be. And I know I have a unique purpose in this life, and I know that that is primary. Like, I need to fulfill that rather than just following the matrix kind of traditional track. I need to find my unique purpose, my unique piece that I'm here to bring so that I can benefit others and so that I can really express my gifts that um, I'm here to express. And, and I want to be empowered in that, right? And so that's when people usually are ready for the Empower Thyself initiation, that first step of initiation in the mystery school. Mm-hmm. And then if they say even further than that, I want to help, I've healed so much through my journey, I also want to step into a place of helping other people in their healing journey. Right. As, you know, in, in holding that healing energy for, and that space for people, then there's another step of initiation. And, you know, then... They might say, well, I also want to help initiate people into the lineage, you know, and then there's Uh another step of initiation. And then there's a whole other path of, you know, several levels of initiation within the school that's really about how do we master our own ego? Because our ego, no matter how far we go on our path of spiritual progression, our ego can often come up and trip us in, in, it gets more subtle and more crafty, more sophisticated. (laughs) And so you have to constantly be working that and vigilant with that and and eliminating that that negative ego so that Mm -hmm. it doesn't keep tripping you up. And so then there's a whole other path in the mystery school that we call the ritual master path that is um, really balancing not just the healing work, but also, you know, the kind of the spirit of the warrior. Like, we have to be a warrior oh, within that's ourselves. That's like the warrior monk mm-hmm. side yeah. of things like they do at the Shaolin Temple, yeah. kind of, right? Yeah. And every mystery school had both paths. They had uh-huh. the healer path and the warrior path. You know, so you had the, the Shaolin monks, um, you had the warrior side, and then you also had that monk side. Uh-huh. And you had, um, you also had the samurai you know, right. and and then you had the monks and, and the people who just stayed at the temple. And in King Solomon's lineage, you had the knights of the temple, uh-huh. which later became known as the Templars. And you also had the healers and the priesthood of the temple, which worked more in the inside of the temple um, and received people, whereas the warriors and the knights more went out, you know, with right. the emissaries and, and so forth and, and guarded. And so in the lineage of King Solomon, 
one of the things that he did was he cross-trained. You know, most a lot of the other, um, you would either train as a warrior or you would train as a monk uh -huh. or a healer. But in the Solomon lineage, he cross-trained them because, again, the tree of life. He said, well, one, one pillar is the healer, one pillar is the warrior. We want to walk the middle pillar, so we have to know how to weave them both. And um, so in, in the Modern Mystery School, we also have that where people will cross-train and do both paths if they really feel called to both right. paths. You know, it's an option, it's a choice. So how does um, how does one reach out to the Modern Mystery School if they're interested mm -hmm. in this process? Yeah, so the first thing to do would be to seek out a practitioner in their area to get a life activation. And they can, you know, there's often other intro classes, seminars, meditation classes, and so forth that we offer that are very open. Really the first point of entry when they say, I want more and I really want to start awakening more of my potential is to get a life activation. And they can find a list of practitioners that are certified by the Modern Mystery School um, on the modernmysteryschool.com website. Okay. And they, they go under, um, they look for services and then they look for uh, life activation and then there should be a link there of certified practitioners okay. um, or they're also welcome to ultimately get in touch with me we can give my contact info and I'm happy to refer um, okay. if if I know people in their area uh -huh. and so the life activation is the first step and then the next big step would be the empower thyself initiation and there's other activations along the way as well like um, they can do those in any order. Like they can get, they can do several activations before receiving initiation, or they can just do the life activation, and then get initiated and do other activations later. So, for example, another step of activation is something we call the full spirit activation, which is more about awakening the old brain and helping the soul body to interface and directly perceive spirit in the physical. The empower thyself initiation, they'd have to find a guide who um, has been trained uh, at the higher levels by the uh -huh. Mystery School to, to conduct um, the, um, the training. Empower the self-training is two days worth of training, and you learn a broad sweep of the foundational teachings of the Mystery School. There's like 10 different topics that we get into. It's all very, some of it's very spiritual philosophy, some of it's very practical, like how does our mind work and how do we overcome our negative ego. And, mm -hmm. you know, and then there's also tools and, and practices that you get handed down. Uh, through the oral tradition so that you can take those tools into your daily life and start working um, to find your own empowerment through the use of those tools and find that place of balance in your life where you can set the energy and the flow of your life based on that practice. Okay. Then at the end of those two days is the initiation ceremony where that initiation uh, is a simple ceremony. It doesn't have a whole lot of pomp and circumstance to it. It's, it's just, you know, like here is the process, here's the transfer of energy. But I do find that it, it expands the energy flow in a person about tenfold. Like there's this expansion of the amount of energy that they can flow, the amount of impact that they can make in the world once they've been initiated. And then there's also greater um, ability to connect to the spiritual guidance. There's new guidance that comes in. They have all these tools. Uh, there's greater sense of protection of their energy field that comes in. Uh, so there's a lot of benefits that come from that initiation. And it also helps helps us to really adjust to flow more in alignment with the will of God at a personal level. And then there's further steps of initiation if they feel called to those further steps. But then there's also a lot of other classes that we teach like sacred geometry, astral travel, um, there's meditation classes, there's 
so there's all kinds of magic classes, you know. So there's a lot that we do that's open to the public, and then there's other classes that are only open to certain levels of initiation, depending on um, how far they choose to go with things. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, again, like mystery, modernmysteryschool.com has a lot of the pre- certified practitioner lists and the guides in the various countries. There, and we're, we have people in about, I think it's like 46 different countries. Um, around the world, there's there's people, and who who can do these uh, at least the life activation, and then the guides. You know, there's a lot of guides. Some of them travel around, mm-hmm. um, or we have people also who travel to us. As far as learning Kabbalah with the school, there's only a smaller number of teachers in the school who've been certified and trained to teach Kabbalah. It's a pretty rigorous training process, um, so. At one point, there was really only five Kabbalah teachers in the West. Uh, it's, we're starting to expand it a little bit more, but um, mostly people would travel to an area where the Kabbalah program is happening. Uh-huh. And um, so if, if they're interested in, in checking out more about Kabbalah, uh, again, they can go look at the Modern Mystery School website, or there's also universalkabbalah.net which is a website that myself and a colleague of mine, Verla Wade, who's up in Seattle, we are to the uh, Kabbalah teachers for the school. So that site's primarily focused on what we're offering. Okay. Um, and then, but if, if they're in other areas, we can also see if there's another um, opportunity somewhere closer to them if they don't live in the West Coast. Okay. And then at a personal, like for, for other personal work that I do where I blend more of the science and spirituality, they can go to traceabullard.com, okay. T-H-E-R-E-S-A-B-U-L-L-A-R-D.com. Okay. And, and can they find the your albums, your meditation albums, and your book that you yeah. mentioned? So can you talk a little bit about those so that they know how to find that? Sure. So I have several meditation albums. Um, all of which are techniques that I've learned over the years through various aspects of my mystery school training, um, all of which are ultimately helping people to access more of a quantum state of consciousness. So there's four albums so far that we've done. There's Quantum Insight, Creative Alchemy, which is a little bit more dynamic process that draws from and how we can create from idea all the way through to final result. Okay. And, um, and then there's two new ones. One's called Into the Gap, the other's called Connecting to the Gap, both of which are about accessing that space between okay. where you can really tap into quantum potentials. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all four of these albums, I, I, was, I did them in collaboration with, with John Epperson, who is a um, meditation music maestro mm-hmm. <laughs> and he also masters brainwave entrainment frequencies and um, we've done a lot of work with the Monroe Institute as well that you know has pioneered the whole field of brainwave entrainment yeah, I've done the whole uh, gateway experience their gateway yeah amazing. yeah it's really good it's cool stuff and um, yeah so those are all on my store on my website um, just traceabler.com is the easiest URL to just direct them to that that site it's it's actually Quantra Leadership Academy is what they'll see is the brand of the, the site. And then the book that I wrote is, is a really quick, short, easy read, but packed with a lot of good stuff in there on alchemy. It's called The Game Changers, Social Alchemists in the 21st Century, and it's really about how do we take this formula that alchemy gives us of transformation 
and use it to help us understand the social transformations we're going through in our world today. Okay. Um, also, you can, it, it really talks about it enough where you can apply it to yourself and the tr your own transformations, um, but then also like what's going on in the world and how does this relate to where we are in the alchemical stages? Mm -hmm. Where do we keep getting stuck? and we kind of fall back and repeat old patterns, what do we need to do to break through so that we can really take it through to its final stages and, and reach that shift that we need to make. Um, so that's, that's also available through my website or it's also on Amazon. Um, so that's the Game Changers uh, Social Alchemist in the 21st Century. And then I've also been part of some collaborative books um, on uh, there's another one on change that's also on my website, and then there was uh, a, a collaborative book with a bunch of scientists from the science non-duality um, community, and Deepak Chopra was the editor. That one's called Brain, Mind, Cosmos. Um, so I wrote one of the chapters in there on, on the brain and real practical stuff on how we can rewire the brain using spiritual practices and sensory inputs in a harmonious way. And um, Yeah, so those are some of the products I have out there great thank you thank you well um, we're about at the end of the uh, time even though we we had a lot of um, stuff that, that I <laughs> we had a lot of questions about. to get to maybe we need to do another <laughs> yeah, one sometime, we may have to do another one sometime <laughs> later but uh, I want to um, I, at the end of every episode at the end of any every interview I always give my guest the opportunity to deliver a message to the multiverse to all the, the beings and, and souls and spirits um, who are out there listening. And if uh, if you had a, a message, you, this is your opportunity to, to deliver it. So mm -hmm. uh, what would you like to tell everyone out there? I'd like to tell everyone a couple of keys that the Mystery School teaches, which is uh, number one, you are an eternal being and therefore you've never really been born and also you can never really die because you are eternal, you are spirit, right? You are that God essence that is within you. And the most important thing that you can do is to remember that, to awaken to that, to reaffirm that every day in your life, to, to tell yourself, I am God or God is within me. We're not saying that you are the God, the ultimate, but you have that divine essence within you. And our remembering of that is essential to us being able to fulfill our purpose. And then we're also here to live with joy, you know, to experience. So have joy in life. And, and you know, if the rules and the dogmas of, of society or religion or culture are, are kind of keeping you small, then let them go because it's a lot of illusion. And have joy, right? Be free. Be who you are and express your uniqueness um, because the world is changing and we're in an accelerated time of shifting on this planet. And we really need to each reconnect to our own unique expression and the gifts and the purpose that we're uniquely here to fulfill, right? So live your life rather than the life that everyone else wants you to live or that you think you should live because that's the dogma you've been given. Uh, be free, have joy, and uh, express, express what that joy is and your passion. And ultimately, that's what I'm here to help people with is, is to you know, find that uniqueness, that purpose, and come to that full mastery of who they are so that they can bring that into the world and really make a positive impact because the world's waiting for all of us to get with it 
and to to deliver on our mission here. And each one of us has a unique missions. So it's my mission is to help other people, you know, find that mission and and impact the people that they're meant to impact so that we can really change this world for the better. Great, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's been uh, a pleasure. It's what a, yeah, what a dynamic, stimulating, deep conversation. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to sit in traffic and drive out here and do the interview. It was great. And, thank you, um, And there's an open invitation for part two. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime that you, know, you have anything that you want to come on and talk about, anytime you're doing anything big that's new and you want to promote it, uh, we're, we're always here. Great. So we're not going anywhere. Okay. Well, right. we'll plan something then. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All I can say about that interview is, wow, I love doing this show. What an amazing thing to be a part of. Thank you all for listening. And just know that I had about a thousand questions ready for her, and we only got through the first couple of pages So we're probably going to have her back for part two. Just stay tuned for when that is. It'll probably be sometime later this year, and hopefully we'll do a part three. I had an amazing time doing this interview. What a great guest, and I know she has lots of wisdom, information, and knowledge to share with you and me and everyone else in this world, so we will definitely invite her back again. Thank you. I want to thank you all for listening and supporting Messages from the Multiverse. If you think you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, email us at messagesfromthemultiverse at gmail.com or contact me on Facebook at Hypnotropia. Messages from the Multiverse is always free and can be found and subscribed to or followed at iTunes, Apple's iOS podcast app, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and at hypnotropia.com. If you want to contact me regarding my hypnotherapy or shamanic practice, speaking engagements, educational seminars, presentations, and workshops, or any other reason, please visit hypnotropia.com or email me at ian at hypnotropia.com. You can find out all about me and the show on that website. And you can now play all the available episodes of this show right through the embedded SoundCloud player, on our website by simply clicking the title of the show and scrolling down till you see the playlist. Until next time, honor and love yourselves, your fellow humans and sentient beings, and our planet. Be well.